What's going on, Dolphins fans? This is Kyle Krabs of Locked on Dolphins. On today's episode, we are exploring a couple dynamics of Dolphins Jets that are different than the first time around, previewing some college football bowl games that should definitely have your interest as Dolphins fans, and some more news regarding the Dolphins running back room, which continues to be in flux amid a spike of COVID cases within the group. Buckle in. Another episode of Locked on Dolphins. Coming at you. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. This is your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com. Your host here on Locked On Dolphins. Today is Tuesday, December 14th. 2021. It is Jets Hate Week 2.0. I hope you are acting accordingly or juiced accordingly. Rivalry game, divisional showdown, 500 on the line for the Dolphins. Lots to look forward to, and I'm glad to see each and every one of you here and listening to Locked on Dolphins. Thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Dolphins listen of the day. Uh, But with that in mind, it's not all Good news <laughs> pertaining uh, to week 15 of the 2021 Miami Dolphins season because uh, the news broke yesterday afternoon that Philip Lindsay has also tested positive uh, for COVID-19, putting him in reserve uh, COVID-19 protocols, meaning the Dolphins' top three running backs on the roster. You've got Philip Lindsay, you've got Miles Gaskin, you've got Savan Ahmed, all on COVID reserve right now. Malcolm Brown. He's on IR. Patrick Laird. He's on IR. (laughs) Uh, Malcolm Brown, according to Brian Flores, may be coming back this week, though. So that is uh, one reinforcement that's coming. The team, of course, on Monday had Lamar Miller. Yes, that Lamar Miller in for a workout. I don't know how much juice he's going to be able to give you. Um, The team does have Jared Dokes on the practice squad at their disposal as well. So you have some options, not good options, but some options. Um, And and the important note for this for the Dolphins in the running back room came courtesy of Tom Palacero, and that was that uh, all three of the backs in question for Miami, according to Tom Palacero of NFL Network, are vaccinated, which means they can test their way out of the protocols with two consecutive days of negative tests between now and the weekend. So I don't know what that means for Philip Lindsay, given uh, he was flagged as being positive on Monday, uh, but at least for the guys who were flagged over the course of the weekend, that gives you some semblance of optimism that maybe they test out. I would expect there's going to be a move, whether it's Lamar Miller or otherwise. Uh, Of course, Duke Johnson is also on the practice squad as well. So you got a guy who's a pass catching back. You got couple of big heavy hitters. Uh, if you get Lamar Miller to kind of be an, an, a do-it-all option if you need him to, uh, you've got some options. But again, like we said yesterday, this is really what's going to test the ideology of this Dolphins team with how they have approached the running back position to this point in time because they generally have not cared. And um, you would think that they are all interchangeable within their respective roles. We'll see. 
Uh, we'll, we'll see if any other cases pop up as well. Uh, but Miami, kind of in the middle, kind of in flux at the wide receiver or at the running back position right now. Um, but when you think about Miami coming off the bye and hopefully getting some guys like Brandon Jones healthy, uh, Michael Dieter potentially, uh, Brian Flores also said uh, that Michael Dieter is going to practice, and that was kind of a big flare-up and scare after this latest win for Miami. Uh, he played, he came back, uh, but then after practice, he was in a walking boot, or after the game, he was in a walking boot, and everybody's like, oh, shoot, are we going to go down this road again? Um, Miami getting a couple of guys healthy, and that's that's going to be really big when you consider what the first Jets showcase was like for Miami. Because I think about the differences that exist uh, between this game and last game, and there are a couple of them. I had flag three that I wanted to touch on today. The first one being getting a couple players back. Michael Dieter and Devontae Parker being new layers to the offense is a real nice place to be. That is a very, very welcomed addition for Miami entering into the second showcase against the Jets. Because again, you look at the Jets' corner room. There's no impressive players in that group. Miami did not have a lot of success consistently throughout the game, throwing and attacking outside, down the field, intermediate areas of the field. And it's generally speaking not an area that they throw in general. But having Devontae Parker, if that's the guy that Tua trusts to throw back shoulder throws and open up that level of the defense a couple of times, like Devontae did when he came back in this most recent game that Miami played against the Giants, that's an added layer that I think can produce a lot of significant gains for the Dolphins offensively. And then Michael Dieter versus Austin Ryder. Austin Ryder, according to Pro Football Focus, was your worst graded offensive lineman in the first Jets game. And putting Dieter in his place, yeah, that's an upgrade. That is an upgrade. And where the Jets are going to give you fits is with a couple of these heavy hitters that they have on the interior defensive line. And obviously, Quinton Williams, and he's a freak of an athlete who's got quick twitch ability and penetration skills. And having your best possible guy Manning effectively both a gaps in Michael Dieter. That's a nice addition for the offensive side of the football. So that's a big win for Miami. Just looking at the dynamics that existed last time versus the dynamics that exist this time. I also think Zach Wilson's return to the lineup uh, is one that we as Dolphins fans should be. Um, I don't want to say excited. Because Zach Wilson's a talented player. He is a physically talented thrower of the football. But Zach Wilson, to this point in time, he's two and seven and nine starts for the team. Uh, he's thrown six touchdowns to 11 interceptions. He's completing 56.1% of his passes. Against New England, zero touchdowns, four interceptions, and a loss. Against New England, the second time, he was six of 10 for 51 yards. Okay, whatever. Against the Houston Texans, 14 to 24, 145 yards and an interception. Against New Orleans this past week, 19 of 42, 45% completion, 4.81 adjusted yards per attempt. It's not great. Zach Wilson this season has had two games with an adjusted yards per attempt. In excess of five point or five point eight. 
Week one against Carolina, 6.84. And then in week four against Tennessee, which was a weird Jets win, 27-24. He was 21-34, 297 yards, two touchdowns in overtime. His past five starts, 4.59 adjusted yards per attempt, 5.10 adjusted yards per attempt, 4.17 adjusted yards per attempt, 5.82 adjusted yards per attempt, and 4.81 adjusted yards per attempt. He has two fumbles in that stretch. All I know is if I'm Miami and I'm getting a young quarterback who has been sacked over that same stretch of times. Not a math guy. Hold on. Five, nine, ten. 15 times in five games. I am seeing big time opportunities to create mistakes. The things that Joe Flacco had success with throwing against Miami last time Joe Flacco had success with because he was an experienced veteran and he had anticipation on what Miami was going to do. So he had to throw a lot of timing throws to a spot and throw them very early. If you're expecting Zach Wilson amidst a rookie season in which he's had his struggles, if you're expecting him to do that, if you are the Jets, That's going to be a tough ask for the season. He's been sacked 28 times on 285 dropbacks, 9% sack rate. His adjusted net yards per attempt for the season is 3.61. Seven is considered good. So I understand dynamic arm can throw to all levels of the field. You know what? Joe Flacco's got a big arm too. And this dynamic and change for my money, is a net positive for a Dolphins defense that is playing really well right now, had the bye week to install some new wrinkles, had the bye week to get some guys healthy, including one of your better blitzing players in Brandon Jones. I'll take that as a net positive all day long. You listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money. Get three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line and a free 5G phone when you switch so you can get all the latest episodes of your favorite podcasts all on one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save with Boost Mobile. Disclaimer, free phone limited to new customers and one per line additional restrictions apply. Offers coverage not available everywhere or for all phones and networks. See boostmobile.com for details. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away and on location. The official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That is on location, exp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location. The last thing that is different, it's a different dynamic than what we had 
the first time they played, and it's an obvious one, but I think it is a notable one. It's one that is worth us acknowledging because, as I said at the end of yesterday's show, we do have a great fan base. This game is at home for the Miami Dolphins. This ain't in northern Jersey. No, no. This game is in Miami Gardens at the Rock. Okay? And you got a bunch of Dolphins fans that I guarantee you have gotten themselves riled up by the progress that this team has made with this five-game winning streak and this chance to get back to 500. So here's the deal. I live in northern Delaware. Right now, you know what? We'll, we'll do it. It's midday. What is the temperature outside? It's currently 54 degrees. Oh, okay, 54. You know, a nice, cool, balmy 54 and sunny midday. You know what it is calling for on Sunday at the Rock? 83 degrees. That's a big difference. And we all know about that sun. And this is not one of those teams, you know, early in the season and last year when I was doing the schedule preview, trying to talk about, oh, the South Florida Heat, the South Florida Heat, the South Florida Heat. We're going to bake the opponent in the sun. They're going to wilt in the fourth quarter. Well, that really didn't work against some of the better teams that Miami has played over the last two years at the Rock. But this is not an upper-tier team. This is not a middle-tier team. This is the New York Jets. And the Jets are one of the five worst teams in football this year. According to their record, that's not my opinion. That is according to the records that are out there. This is the fourth worst team in football. And you get them coming down into 30 degrees plus. You're extra rested. You got your hydration. You got guys healthy. You got fans that I'm expecting are going to show up. This ain't going to be a packed house. I understand it's not a sellout. This is not playoffs on the line or a playoff game or anything like that. But I've been to a number of Dolphins games this year. I've been to three. I'm planning on making it four for week 18 against New England. There's a lot of fans that give a damn about this team, and they are loud, and they're not afraid to do their 111th to help put this team in position to have success. I think home field advantage is significant, and this is why according to some places, depending on where you look, you see the Dolphins favored by as many as eight and a half points in this contest. Eight and a half point favorites the Dolphins are against the Jets in week 15. Ask yourself this, if two months ago you ever anticipated that the Dolphins were going to be eight and a half point favorites. Our friends over at Online, boom. Eight and a half point favorites. Uh, Dolphins minus 375 on the money line. As far as next week's lines go, uh, we have a Thursday night game. Uh, Chiefs at Chargers, it's three and a half. Browns, six-point favorites. Colts, two-point favorites. Those are Saturday games. Raiders-Browns is Saturday. Patriots-Colts is Saturday. That's a great goddamn evening of football. If you're a Dolphins fans, to hop on and see what some of these playoff teams are looking like, Saturday's going to be a good night. I didn't realize those were Saturday games until right now. And then on Sunday, 
Eagles, four-point favorites. Bills, 11-point favorites. Dolphins, eight-and-a-half. Giants, 10-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Cowboys. Titans, two-point favorites. Jaguars, three-point favorites. Lions, 13-and-a-half-point underdogs at home to Arizona. 49ers favored by eight-and-a-half. Buccaneers favored by 10-and-a-half over New Orleans. There's only three games that outright have a greater spread than what Miami has this week. This is one of the biggest lines of the week. A lot of factors in Miami's favor. We'll see if that ultimately ends up tipping the scales their way or not. But as we shift our focus here, you know, we mentioned this weekend, some bowl games happening. Bowl games coming your way as well. Not just Saturday football for the NFL. And what I did is I put together my list of five bowl games this season that I am very much looking forward to seeing from a Miami Dolphins-specific focus. Obviously, my work with the Draft Network, I'm very dialed in on college football and the NFL draft and that process. But if I'm just looking at the bowl schedule from a Dolphins perspective, these were the five bowl games that I put the star next to and said, I I really am intrigued by what we're going to get here. And it, of course, starts with both of the college football playoff games. The Cotton Bowl is between Alabama and Cincinnati. Alabama's the number one team in the country. Miami has a very significant pipeline here. So whether it's Evan Neal or Brian Robinson Jr. at running back, who's going to be a day three guy probably, Or Jamison Williams, the wide receiver who transferred in from Ohio State and has been a stud. Their other stud wide receiver, John Metchie, is out for the year. He tore his ACL in the SEC championship game. Uh, Emil Ekoyer, the the offensive guard. Defensively, effectively their entire defensive line, whether it's DJ Dale, Fidarian, Mathis, their two linebackers, Henry Toto and Christian Harris. This is a team. That's got a lot of talent. Again, now it's not the Bama standard that you would usually associate them with, but they've got like a dozen prospects at their disposal. And Cincinnati on the other side of the coin, I don't think Desmond Ritter's somebody we need to be focused on, uh, but you do have a number of players who I think would be interesting potential additions to the Dolphins, including pass rusher Majay Sanders. Uh, You have cornerback Kobe Bryant, not that... Kobe Bryant, this is spelled C-O-B-E. Sauce Gardner, uh, another. Darian Beavers, the linebacker who we were asked about on Power to the Pod. And I hadn't seen any of them. And then Joe Marino, my colleague over at uh, the Draft Network, watched him and was like, yo, Patriots disciples are going to love this dude. He is a thumper. Tight end Josh Wiley. Wide receiver Alec Pierce. Running back Jerome Ford. Cincinnati's got a good deal of talent, too. I wouldn't put them on the stratosphere as Alabama, but you've got probably six to eight prospects on Cincinnati's side and probably 12 prospects of relevance on the Alabama side. You add all that up, you got 20 players that you could realistically see becoming Miami Dolphins. That's a great value. What if I told you that that wasn't even the most important slate of the college football playoff? Because from a Dolphins draft perspective, the Orange Bowl, which is played at the Rock, is another really enticing group of games. Georgia versus Michigan. 
Michigan, uh, you got two stud pass rushers in Aiden Hutchinson, who's probably going to go number one overall based on the current momentum of the players. David Ajabo is probably a top 15 pick as the other pass rusher there. You got some talent further back on the defense. Uh, they're, they're mostly younger. Daxton Hill is a safety nickel defender. I don't know if they'd, they'd be in play with him given the acquisition of Javon Holland. Uh, Josh Ross at linebacker. On the offensive side of the ball, running back Hassan Haskins is, is somebody of note. Uh, I think he's going to be a mid-round guy. And then they got a bunch of talent on the offensive line. I like uh, Stuber at, at right tackle is one that I like a bit. He's he's big, boxy, framed guy. He's, he's probably six six and a half, uh, 330 pounds or so. That's the Michigan side, okay? Then there's the Georgia side. And Georgia has a bunch of killers as far as prospects go. You guys know how many prospects Georgia has in the draft network's top 50 players? Four. Okay, so almost 10%. Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle. N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker. George Pickens, wide receiver. And Trayvon Walker, the pass rusher. You know how many more Georgia prospects there are in the top 100? So from 55 or from 51 to 100? Five. Arion Kendrick, corner. Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle. Jamari Salyer, offensive guard. Lewis Sign, safety. Nolan Smith, edge rusher. And then you go from 101. 150, and there's another two. Ike Smith and Quay Walker, who are both within the top 110. So with the top 110 prospects eligible for the 2022 NFL Draft, right now, Georgia's got 11 of them. 11. And then there's other guys like Zamir White and James Cook and some of the other players they have on that offensive line that just continue every time you look at a new position group for the Georgia Bulldogs, they are loaded with talent. Both of those games, U.S. Dolphins fans should not only be watching, but taking notes. Got another chance for you to take some notes here. Recently got some apparel from my friends over at Stance Apparel. These things are super Comfortable, you know, whether you're, you're looking for socks, shirts, joggers, hoodies, you name it. Active wear that is incredibly comfortable. Stance was founded back in 2009 and represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel with a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity. There's an atypical aesthetic with Stance alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in, that those who feel good do good. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code Locked On at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Bringing us home here. 
three more bowl games that I think are of significant interest to the Dolphins. The Rose Bowl is another one. The Rose Bowl has Ohio State versus Utah. And I could generally, give or take, almost anybody on Utah this year. Other than one guy, Devin Lloyd. If you went to the draftnetwork.com early this week on Monday, you would have seen that Devin Lloyd was my pick for the Dolphins at 22, which is where the Dolphins are currently sitting courtesy of San Francisco. Still a lot of wiggle room for San Francisco to fall out. We don't need to panic too much. Miami continues there. Miami's big game behind them as far as record is concerned. Okay, that's fine. You know what? If Miami ends up one game behind San Francisco, I'm okay with the gamble that they took. But Devin Lloyd against Ohio State, Travion Henderson, the running back, not eligible. C.J. Sproud, the quarterback, not eligible. These wide receivers, though, for Ohio State, you've got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, eligible this year. Jackson Smith and Jigba is not eligible this year, but might be better than both of those guys. you got three wide receivers, really, really dynamic. Jeremy Ruckert, athletic tight end. you got those kinds of weapons on the field. That's a nice test for Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd's been filling up the stat sheet left and right. How's he play against the 11 personnel that Ohio State can run out? That's what I'm interested to see from Utah in that Rose Bowl game. From the Ohio State side of things, obviously we mentioned the wide receivers. I would love the addition of Chris Olave to the group of wide receivers that the Dolphins have here. If they didn't feel like linebacker was a big priority, if they invested in veterans on the offensive line, if they got a fail-safe at running back to ensure that they didn't have to feel stressed to draft one early, would love to see Chris Olave added to this group. But I think the one that interests me the most is their left tackle, Nicholas Petit Freer. He is 6'5", 315, prototypical length. And he's played both left and right tackle for Ohio State, and he is much more natural on the left side. I watched this film recently, and I was very, very impressed. And he is somebody in the midst of a crowded offensive tackle group. You hear a lot about Evan Neal from Alabama. You hear a lot about Ikem Ikwanu from North Carolina State. Petit Freer is the kind of guy who I think stylistically fits what Miami is trying to do. And he has more athlete. He's got athleticism, but he's got a higher technical floor than what Austin Jackson did right now. He's on my radar. Will not lie. He's on my radar. And I'm generally not advocating for drafting another offensive lineman in the first round. But there's another one on the radar for another one of these two games that I have left earmarked the Citrus Bowl, Iowa versus Kentucky. This one's fun for offensive linemen because Iowa's got Tyler Linderbaum center against an SEC defense that has a pretty significant number of heavy hitters and big bodies up front. Kentucky's got a lot of size and mass on the defensive line. Good test for Tyler Linderbaum. Kentucky, they've got Darren Kennard, who plays right tackle. I think he's probably best suited for guard at the next level. Kind of reminds me of Robert Hunt, but he's somebody I'm watching if he's there on day two. 
They've also got Wandale Robinson, who I think is kind of a discount Jahan Dotson. If you're not familiar with Jahan Dotson, he plays at Penn State, and he's a 4-3 guy with electric playmaking ability with the ball in his hands. But Jahan Dotson's probably going to be a top 30 pick. Wandale Robinson's probably going to be a top 75 pick. That gets into that value proposition. How much of a discount off Jahan Dotson do I get with Wandale Robinson versus the investment that's going to require to bring him into the ranks? I like that formula. And then, of course, I mean, Kentucky's got some some other guys. Uh, Josh Pascal, edge rusher, uh, somebody I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, Will Levis as a developmental quarterback in the late rounds would be somebody who would pique my interest a little bit. He's very athletic. Very Taysom Hilly. Please, nobody at Chris Sims, since I mentioned Taysom Hill on a Dolphins podcast. And the last game that I have marked here is the Las Vegas Bowl. Wisconsin versus Arizona State. And the reason I have this one marked is for linebackers and offensive linemen. Arizona's got Kellen Deesh. Arizona State's got Kellen Deesh, offensive tackle. Very much of interest to me. Wisconsin, they got a lot of big guys up front. They don't really have anybody that's that's commanded my attention to say, hey, this guy's going to be a viable prospect at the next level. At this point, that's eligible this year. But Wisconsin's got a couple of backers in Leo Chennault and Jack Sanborn who have the kind of teeth to them that I think would be great additions if you don't get a Devin Lloyd in the first round or you don't get a N'Kobe Dean as a, a blitz player, but he's more of the Duke Riley, Sam McGuavin type of player as compared to the person that you would look to replace Elandon Roberts. Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn are those guys that would replace Elandon Roberts in the starting lineup. And they're both probably day two, early day three guys. They don't have the kind of athleticism that you're going to want being a three down linebacker and playing space. And I think that's what separates a guy like Devin Lloyd from those guys. But they're talented, they're physical, and they're nasty. They fly around and they will smack the taste out of your mouth. Arizona State's got uh, Merlin Robinson at linebacker too. So some options in both sides of the ball playing linebacker in that game. Las Vegas Bowl, who would have thought? Who would have thought we would have such fun, wide-arranging content here on a Tuesday episode of Lockdown Dolphins in mid-December amidst the push to 500. The hunt for 500 is back on Jets Hate Week 2.0. Hope you guys enjoyed. Make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for checking out the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video, hit subscribe on the channel. Kindly encourage you. That way you can get invited back and get the notifications when we go live. If you're listening to the podcast, just make sure you keep it locked in. Hit subscribe. Thanks, as always, for listening. Fins up.